thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to 100 Not Out, featuring your hosts, Dr. Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce. dedicated to helping you master the art of aging well. My name is Marcus Pierce, and I am here with the second best chiropractor in the world, of course, behind my lovely wife, Sarah. It's Dr. Damien Christoph. Hi, Damo. Could be the third best uh, today, mate, especially given with our special guest we've got on today. Oh, look, I, I think as much as I love our special guest, Damo, I um, I have known you for longer, so it would be um, <laughs> it wouldn't be loyal if I if I put you onto the. Uh, uh, I love your loyalty. Position. Love your loyalty, MP. It's great to be here again with you. I'm looking forward to today, as I always look forward to doing the hundred dot out. But uh, I'm I'm pumped about interviewing our good friend today, Keith. I'll let you introduce him. Of course, and before I do, Damo, I must mention that uh, it being this time of year, these episodes are proudly brought to you by our 100 Not Out Greek Island Longevity Retreat, seven nights and eight days in June with Damo and myself learning and experiencing for real from the centenarians of Ikaria just how to live a life of quantity and quality. For more information, go to 100notout.com.au to check it all out. But yes, just, just quietly pumped about that. I, I know. Just I know. Quietly. The, face, the Facebook feedback is very excited. So, yeah. cannot wait to uh, escape to the Greek islands in June. But Damo, today yes. we are joined by a man who has an inspiring story to Doesn't tell. Work. Some of it dark and made of the kind of experiences that no one would ever wish to go through, and much of it though very uplifting to the point that. We really can recognise that the human spirit is capable of surviving anything. Today, we are joined by chiropractor Keith Livingston, who in his own right is a former chiropractor of the year in his native state of Victoria. He's the author of a renowned running book titled Healthy Intelligent Training, a father of five, husband to Joanne, and he has a great story to tell. Joining us from Bendigo in Victoria, it is a very warm 100 Not Out welcome to Keith Livingston. Keith, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Keith, I suppose the story really begins um, in 2007. You're a chiropractor of 20 years. You're feeling great, exercising regularly, eating well, uh, four kids with one on the way, a beautifully refurbished chiropractic center, and then all of a sudden the lights go out. Do you want to kind of pick it up from there? Well, you got it pretty well right there, yeah. Um, yeah, everything was going pretty well. Never in a, never in a hundred years not out would I, um, would I have thought that I was going to collapse of a brain tumour, but I did. So, um, you know, I I had a feeling beforehand that all was not well, and if I look back in in hindsight, uh, I was doing some pretty crazy things, you know. I was uh, uh, sure we had a big, successful practice in Swan Hill, and I had the two American associates I'd brought over from Parker, and everything was going hunky-dory, and I suddenly decided that I needed to go bush. So I made the executive decision, which I did a lot of back then, um, to just buy, as you do, um, 16 acres on the little Murray, on the Murray River in Barmer Forest, which is way out. You know. Anyway, so I went, did a little inland sea change bit for a while there, but nothing was really quite um, gelling for me, and uh, I was just really sort of at a loss for what I was doing, and... Uh, Looking back, I can see what was going on. I was probably cooking this little thing in my head. And what, I, what happened was uh, we decided to suddenly then move to Bendigo, where Joanne's from, 
And um, love Bendigo. Set up, you like Bendigo? Yeah, it's beautiful. I love the it's talking top. tram. Do you? I haven't yeah. been on it yet. Oh. Anyway, look, get back to the important story. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry um, about that, Keith. <laughs> yeah, this, 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 this is all about you know, me. Just, just lightening it up. I was feeling a bit somber. No, no. Yes. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Uh, um, yes, yeah, sorry, Keith. You young guys need a good clip around here. <laughs> anyway, um, I can say that now. I'm 55, so. Um, old, old, yeah. It's not, you know, you know. It's interesting about you know when we do this this podcast, Keith. Is we uh, we learn so much about those who are aging well and successfully and mastering the art of aging, and we love it, right? So, age for me when we started doing this this podcast, it, I was approaching forty. I'm now forty. I was approaching forty. I was a little bit. I don't know if I was fearful. I don't think Marcus, but I just didn't. You were edgy, Damo. I wasn't edgy. feeling comfortable. I was. I was making some crazy decisions. I was, you know, I was. I wasn't uh, doing well with it. But since doing this podcast and listening to how well people age, and then listening to miracle stories, which we're about to hear from you, Keith, I I love it. I, you know, I, I'm actually very comfortable with being forty right now. Oh, Good. I'm glad. Glad for you, Damien. Purging. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Um. Now, now you wipe my. Immediate memory store. <laughs> no, uh, you've you just moved. Just, you just moved we to Bendigo. Yeah, so I was doing some really quite odd things, you know. Um, in one one occasion, I went out and bought not one but two town townhomes off the plan up in Brisbane. You know, as you do, uh, no consultation with Joe and all that sort of stuff. Uh, everything was all over the place, but I was sort of, <laughs> I was fine. I was like. like Slightly mad. I can remember this quite well, just being mad. And uh, anyway, we decided to move down to Bendigo, get a big re- uh, renovation of an old building there on the corner block, made a beautiful new practice with the decision that this would be the 20-year one to um, just practice in Joe's hometown down the road from her mum and dad and bring the kids up there. So... Uh, the first day when I started, normally in a practice, I I just click my fingers and things start to happen with normal energy levels, but uh, nothing happens, you know. And I had this big show, all bought with uh, borrowed funds. I've been given big promises from a certain niche financier, which can remain nameless for now. Um, but anyway, uh, everything went belly up. To cut a long story short, so. Going from a very rosy financial picture to a uh, loss of everything, basically, um, within a very rapid, short spell of, of time, just from making a few crazy decisions, you know. So a degree, degree off, you know, and with financial decisions and things like that, and you could be right, in, right up to your neck. So anyway, so, yeah. Yeah, so I was going to say, so when you reflect on it, because um, I have read some literature or just some, you know, um, some stories on on your history since you had the brain tumour. But like you say, there were certain things that were just normal. But now that you reflect on it, there were other things and, and I suppose more rational decision processes that you feel were lacking that maybe were clues to the fact that not everything was, was going beautifully in the brain. Yeah, yeah. But having said that, paraphrase, I'm, I, I guess I'm a, quite a bit different from most people I know in that I've had a quite an exotic upbringing as a youngster. You know, I was brought up early years in Kenya, Kenya, Africa, and, um, you know, uh, yeah, I've, I've had a quite a quirky sort of upbringing. So I, I do do 
things differently from everyone else I know. You know, I'm wired differently. So that's the start. So anything I I did then might have been my normal quirky character, or it might have been a, a quirk from the quirkiness. So. so the- so then, Keith, I kind of have to say then that you, you developed a brain tumour which 98% of people die from um, and you developed it and you're still here. So it sounds to me like you're still maintaining your character of being just a little bit odd and a little bit uh, different from the rest. Exactly right. So I truly wasn't aware. I was aware that something was going on. I, I have a sort of a, uh, a sort of a... Um, an intuition or a feeling that something was hovering over me or around me. So I'm going to use almost uh, almost spiritual language here, if that's okay, because uh, we are spirit and we are uh, mind and we are physical as well. But I was very aware that my time might be up shortly. Not, I was imagining it might, might be on one of my long drives from my little country clinic I had at the time in Kahuna back home because I used to race along on my old jag hmm. at night in the dark up to 140, 150 kilometres an hour, you know. <laughs> I thought I might collect a cow or something. I don't know. I just had a feeling that <laughs> something a kangaroo. Was, well, you never know. Well, you don't get many on the long stretches in the farm country. You only get them in hilly country. But anyway, uh, I just thought that maybe my time was approaching. And I always used to get a little, uh, what felt just like a bony finger pulling on my shoulder blade, uh, just in the upper traps muscle there, just a, like a bony finger was sort of just pulling my skin up. And so... To me, that felt like the bony finger of death himself. Wow. Yeah, that's what it felt like. But that was my imagination, you see, which I've got a good imagination. So one of my key things about getting better is you can imagine yourself very ill and you can imagine yourself down into the pit of death itself or you can imagine yourself out. So that's what I've done. So um, anyway, this little bony finger would be pulling up on the shoulder area not every day, but now and again, it would just remind me what was hovering around because um, I've spent a lot of time with Maori people and they always say that you know, you're followed around by this um, person whose job is to keep an eye on you until it's your time to go, you know, but just to remind you to get stuff done. So I was very aware of my mortality, even though I've been doing a lot of things that should should ensure my longevity. But... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this this um, could have been, of course, corticosomatic disafferentation from the frontal lobe. <laughs> which, That's uh, which... what the, the friends of science and medicine would tell us. Yeah, no, we, won't, we won't go there just no. yet. But no, anyway. no. Can I ask you a couple of questions, Keith? Because this yeah. for me is a big one. Um, it, with a lot of the interviews that Damo and I do, we are convinced that um, having an active social life and a, just a really a wonderful social life is probably the most important nutrient to ageing well. But it seems culturally in the Western world that when um, that when someone does have cancer, that a lot of people with cancer say that their friends, for whatever reason, their lifelong friends, even their acquaintances, just stop calling, stop dropping in, just really drop off the face of the earth. Um, and that may be because they don't know how to deal with it. But when you had such a life-threatening uh, tumour, and it, you know, it was obviously quite volatile. I mean, you're practising one day and you're, and you're dropping onto the floor the next. Like, How did you find your social circles change during those times? Well, I found it quite hilarious. I know the phenomenon you're talking about, but, you know, um, my approach, because I, I, beforehand I've always done a great deal of reading on survivors and people who get through stuff like 
I've got some certain favourites like Viktor Frankl, who's the, the founder of logotherapy, uh, psychologist who survived Auschwitz, who chose to make his stay in Auschwitz a study in psychology and survival. What was and his book called? It was I Am Man Asher Bilk. Man's Man Search for Meaning. Yeah, it's a was, great was it? read. One night read if you're if you're interested in the subject. Um, and many other people I've heard of over the years. And going way back, you know, um, if anyone was going to survive this, I reckon it was going to be me because I've done so much research, let's say, on how to live well and live long. That goes back to when I was a little child. I had a lot of uh, issues with... Uh, gut problems. I had uh, intersusception, which is a violent strangulation of the large intestine. And I was projectile vomiting blood and muck across the room when I was two years old. Delicious. And, nice. And so I had a couple of foot of intestine removed by, by actually by a Kiwi surgeon who was called in from a tennis match in Nairobi to the kids' hospital, and he performed on me still in his tennis gear with a smock over the top. How's that? <laughs> but anyway, uh, but anyway uh, so... Uh, so I've had a lifelong history of sort of getting over stuff, you know. And then uh, when I was 11, it all came back to visit um, in Auckland, where we were living by then. Uh, now and again, I, I just was curl up like a fetus. Couldn't straighten my body out at all because all the scar tissue, tissue that had formed from the earlier surgery um, had formed adhesions between the gut and the, you know, the stomach wall, uh, you know, the peritoneum, you know, it's always adhesions. And so that just gave me the equivalent of what horses get, you know, colic. And it pethidin and codeine, these amazing, amazing painkillers, they never worked at all. So I dosed up big time on those things, and all they succeeded in doing was giving me constipation as well to add to my joy. So as a youngster, I had a lot of stuff I would just got through. But um, I made a vow when I left hospital when I was about, 11 or 12, because it just kept on taking me out of school. That I'll never go back to hospital ever again. I was going to get as fit and as strong and as well as I possibly could, and I kept to that pretty well. So a few years later, I, I discovered running. Uh, you know, having been a very skinny little kid and not particularly good at, you know, the New Zealand sports, like rugby and cricket, you know, softball or whatever, uh, I, I was not that type, and my family wasn't really into sport at all. So... Um, but I discovered I could run a fair bit, and then where we were in New Zealand, where we'd settled, was Mount Albert or Oaraka, which is the um, yeah, suburb of Auckland where the great Arthur Lydiard, um, the great oh, world's sure. greatest running coach, um, resided. And he just turned local schoolboys uh, into world champions over a number of years. And his training, I think, which I did for a number of years, was probably another. Um, another factor that coalesced into me surviving this thing because you've got to be able to put up with a lot of crap, let's say, you know, when you're going to get through something like this. And you've got you're, to be now, to... you're now, what, is it six years or seven years post-recovery? Oh, yeah, post yeah. 98% of guys, if you believe statistics, which I don't, I've never bought into this ever. That's one thing why I've survived too. A couple of things I was aware of. Um, if you can laugh at something, it hasn't got you. yes. So I personalised this thing attacking me into a sort of like a demonic spirit thing, uh, a thing that's main and in, vested interest is, is, is in my total destruction or the destruction of my family. And that made things very, very personal. I don't believe in fighting something overtly. 
which I didn't. I, I just patted it on the head and totally ignored it. You know, um, that was one of my things right from the start. And uh, looking back, it's quite funny because this poor young neuro uh, neurosurgeon registrar at St Vincent Vincent's Hospital after my first surgery when they decided it was hopeless, they had a look in there and they did a biopsy and it was a wasn't quite as bad as the one I subsequently developed rapidly within a year or so. But they looked in there, got a biopsy out of my scone, and this guy the next day when he, he saw me said, um, well, Keith, um, there's bad news and there's good news. Uh, what do you want to hear? I said, well, shoot with the bad news first, mate. And so, because uh, I always approach things with a, a uh, let's say, a Scottish background sense of humour, you know. Um, that's my upbringing in one way. It's just this sort of picture of how Billy Connolly would frame everything. That's my extended family. So um, this guy says, and he's almost nervous looking at me and saying, well, it's, it's, uh, it's terminal. And I said, well, what's the good news after that, mate? And he says, but it's treatable and it's, no, he says it's terminal and it's inoperable was the bad news. And I said, I, but then straight away I said, oh, well, we're all terminal at the end of the day, aren't we? So give me the, give me the good news then. And he says, well, it's um, treatable. Yeah. I said, I've heard that. I've heard that you say that before, and I still wonder today what the heck that means. But uh, obviously, it worked because he well, yeah. today. You got yeah. Well, you got to hand it to them. Yeah, burning, poisoning, and cutting to a point. Yeah, yeah, it did work. But uh, you know, I'm still clearing up the muck from the poisoning. I think you know, I, I, uh, even a month or so after chemo, I went back home to New Zealand to visit my old mum. Mm-hmm. And I was in there, I was still, I couldn't lie down in bed looking back. I, I was hacking and coughing mucus plugs. So this is quite graphic. But anyway, <laughs> I, I had a whole lot of pillows propping me up at about a 45 degree angle. That's the only way I could sleep because otherwise I'd just shake on mucus. And that was just, I think, my body getting rid of all the crap from from the um, from the chemo, you know. But So that was still coming out a month or two later. But, you know... Um, you just sort of soldier on, and after a while, initially, I thought, oh, gee, that's a bit rough. You know, roll of punches. But see, I've got quite a big faith, really. And so I talk to my maker every day, like not every day, several times an hour, just checking in and saying, thanks for this, mate. You know, like it's a real friendship type thing. And this is quite delusional, isn't it? But anyway, I'm no, so that's right. No, that's yeah, great. That's, that's cool. Great. Yeah. I'm so, so deluded, I survived. No, Keith, I think it's it's wonderful to hear your story and I think that's the thing. If we had more time, we could go into more detail. But there's two questions that um, that I know Damo and I want to ask you. Uh, one is is something we ask everyone, but there's one that I want to ask you and um, I know you've got a centenarian in your presence um, at your chiropractic centre named Molly. Um, Damo and I have interviewed two centenarians on 100 Not Out, Dexter Kruger, who recently turned 104, and and Ruth Frith. But um, you have Molly that comes in to get adjusted. Do you want to share a couple of quick bits on Molly? Because it seems like she's quite an inspiring woman to have come into your, to your clinic on a regular basis. Yeah, well, seeing her, and she never had chiropractic until this year passed at 100, and she decided it was time to look after herself. Now she's 101. Um, oh, it's obviously working. That's a good thing. Yeah, well, she's the oldest, <laughs> oldest, legal, oldest legal driver in Victoria. Wow. I'm sure there are other 101-year-olds who drive without legal yeah. verification. But anyway, she's a force we of nature. We won't say their names. No, no. 
But yeah, she's quite a force of nature. And what it said to me, you know, give me an inspiration that, well, if she can do that without having any chiropractic at all, you know, I think I've got every chance of going out to that level, um, let's say God willing. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, we can always challenge the so-called genetic encoding we have by uh, good nutrition and uh, good thoughts. But let's see at the end of the day, you are what you think. And if uh, the reason I'm here right now is I've never, ever, 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 ever given this thing any credence or importance in my life. Mm, I've not point. ever owned it, never owned it, refused to. It's people a great point me. for the listeners, I think, you know, because Keith, many people, you know, get when they, when they hear the C word, the cancer word, they go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, we have cancer, and that internal panic kicks in. So you're yep. not giving it any credence, not giving it any, you know, any kind of intellect or any kind of power to take over you, from a, whether, you're, whether you're into the spiritual side of things or you're into the vibrational side of things or you're not. The fact that if you do concentrate on something, that is what you'll attract, um, is is very much reflected in what you're talking about there. So, you know, good good job. And did you notice, you know, while you were going through your treatment and everything, that you know your lifestyle was was um, important? Did you find that running, or did you find that eating, or did you find that getting adjusted were you know pertinent or important in in getting better and now obviously keeping yourself well? Well, these days I'd say I'm 99% of anything I was, and in some ways it's a lot better for the experience because I've methodically worked at things. Sure. However, at the time I couldn't really run. Uh, you know, to run even, or even jog, you've got to have a certain amount of brain power. It runs everything, as you know. So I was so <laughs> exhausted. I was just asleep half the time, just going and getting my radiation or chemo or whatever. I, just that would exhaust me a whole day, and I'd... You know, it might go to the cafe on my way home, but even that would just be too much too exciting. So early days, I just concentrated on what was at hand and just keep showing up. And I keep showing up enough to think, well, I'm going to give this a bit of a crack now because I went from a place where everyone's coming at you and, as you were saying before, people talk to you a bit funny and they say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear your news and that sort of stuff. So they get in, try and get inside your head. So that's the thin, thin edge of the wedge. So... My strategy for that was always to negate things. They say, oh, how are you going, Keith? And I say, oh, box of fluffy ducks. Even if I felt like warmed up crap, I'd never <laughs> say else. I'd just say, box of fluffy ducks. And, and I never, ever, ever gave it any importance. Because once you start to fight something ardently and start doing all the juicing and fasting and all that sort of stuff, you're actually giving it nervous energy. You're feeding it your nervous energy, and it's one. So if you can laugh at it, and mock it and pat it on the head, uh, you're most of the way there, I reckon. So that's my strategy is just to ignore it and uh, delude myself well. Well, Keith, you've certainly been a, a success at, um, at getting uh, through to the other side. You've done a great job. And so we thank you so much for joining us on 100 Not Out and sharing your story, Keith Livingston. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you, Keith. Damo, next week we've got another jam-packed episode of 100 on Out. But remember, if you'd love to provide your feedback, we'd love to see it. You can go to www.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash 100 not out. Always, uh, you can also check us out at our Facebook page. Um, and remember, we've got so many other podcasts on thewellnesscouch.com where you can view the entire range, including the number one show, The Wellness Guys. So until next week, folks, continue to make the rest of your life the best of your life. 
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.